this morning. If you've been with us for any length of time, <clears throat> you know that every year the Lord gives us a word. We focus on that word for one Sunday a month. Usually it's the first Sunday, but uh, with Easter and our uh, little vacation, uh, we were suffering in Hawaii for a week. Oh. Yeah, I know. Uh, you can feel my pain, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, just a wonderful time with our family to get away and, and recoup and uh, rest a bit. And uh, so we'll, because of the timing, we'll be looking at our word for the year this morning rather than the first Sunday of the month. So with that said, would you open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 21? Joshua 21. We'll look at our PowerPoint verse and a couple of those uh, surrounding it. And if you remember, our word for 2020 was trust. And as I shared, uh, as 2020 began to develop, that uh, having received our word in October of 2019, I and we had no clue how much uh, trust was going to play a part in the weirdest year any of us have ever experienced. 2021 ain't doing so hot so far either. Uh, things are, are continuing in their rather bizarre state. But... At the end of 2020, and as 2021 was rolling around, I was thinking, man, it would be a good year to have a word like conquer <laughs> or triumph or something with some testosterone in it, some type of aggressive word in light of all we had endured. And yet the Lord gave us the word rest. rest. And that will be our focus this morning. Now, we mentioned in previous messages, the word rest can mean patient expectation. And that's exactly what it means when it's employed in our theme verse for the year, Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus gave the invitation, come to me, everybody I like. Come to me, who? All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you patient expectation. Now, an invitation to rest from Jesus sounds pretty good right now. In light of all that we are going through, both in what we've been through as a, a church and as a nation. Now, we also noted that the word rest can mean to recover strength. It can mean to be calm and quiet. In Hebrew, it means to be still and wait. It can mean to settle upon or even cause to come to be. And in Jeremiah 6.16, which we'll look at in August, the word rest can actually mean rest, to cease from labor and toil. Someday we're going to cease from our labors and toiling and forever be with the Lord. Amen? Now the context of our verse for the month is timely in that Israel had just come through a wilderness experience. And 2020 could well be described as a wandering through the wilderness. Nobody quite knew how to get through or what to do and where to go and all the things that they experienced in their 40-year journey that should have only taken 11 days. Then it seemed like 2020 lasted for 40 years. It was, a, it was a long one for sure. And then what we have in the book of Joshua in the previous chapters to our own is the dividing up of the promised land between the leaders, between the heads of the tribes, and also the establishment of cities of refuge, as well as 48 cities in chapter 21 where the Levites would dwell. And I ran across a kind of uh, interesting comment by one of the commentators where he said that no Israelite lived more than 10 miles from a Levitical city. And that is because God always wanted his people to be able to access spiritual care. God cares about our spiritual health. Amen. 
He cares about our spiritual health at all times. He cares about our spiritual health during a pandemic. Amen? Amen. Now, while the context is completely different for us, we can say we've been through a wilderness experience too. We've had a season of wandering in our lives as well. And the fact is, we're God's people just like the Jews. They're God's people by birth. We're God's people by faith. We're both called God's chosen people. And yet today, in the midst of all this wandering and the wilderness experience we've been having, people are divided. Even the church is divided to a degree. And yet we, like the ancient Israelites, have promises from God about a land and a dwelling place that awaits us. To the Jews, God said, or to the Israelites, God said, in Joshua 24, 13, I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. And then we, as the church, have this promise to us in Hebrews 11, 8 to 10, where we're told of Abraham's faith and when he was called to go out to the place that he would receive as a what? An inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. There's another fitting phrase for 2020. We don't know where all this is going. But by faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents, temporary dwelling places, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker was who? Was God. I submit to you this morning that we're going to inherit a city and home we did not build. We're going to eat of the fruit of the tree of life that we did not plant. And we, like Abraham, have been told to go out, and it seems more and more every day that we're living in a foreign country as strangers and sojourners, as the Bible says. And what we need to recognize is that as with Abraham, between the calling and the going and then the arriving, there is our least favorite thing to do, and that is the waiting. Now, Jesus gave us an invitation to rest in him. That means we can. Right? And it means we should. And as we wait for him as the ones whom he has called and as the ones who he is coming for, we, I believe, need to look at our title this morning and employ it in our everyday lives. And I will say our time of vacation very definitely had an influence on our title this morning because our title is simply Rest and Relaxation. Rest, a little bit of R&R, &R, right? Rest and relaxation. However, as always, we're going to throw a little spin on our title in that we're going to look at this familiar phrase as a formula. In other words, in order to relax, we need to rest in the Lord. We need to patiently continue in Him. After all, relaxation is defined as the state of being free from tension and anxiety. That's what relaxation is. So there has to be a vehicle to get us there, and that is resting in Jesus. Now, in Proverbs 20, verse 3, we're told it is honorable for a man to stop striving since any what? Fool. Any fool can start a quarrel. Now, I don't have to tell you we're living in a time of great strife. We're living in a time of anxiety. And people, including people in the church, are quarreling foolishly. 
I rather interestingly read someone who posted on social media this past week that they had a lifelong friend who they went walking with every day who broke off their friendship because this one woman shared she took the vaccine. And the friend said to her, oh, you've decided to take the mark of the beast and follow the Antichrist. Now, if that doesn't fall under foolish quarreling, I don't know what does. I think we need to settle down. I think we need to be calm and quiet and use this season of time to regain strength instead of allowing division to come into our land and into the church. And all of these things, settling down, being calm and quiet, regaining strength, are definitions of rest. And when we rest, then we can relax, which is the opposite of striving and living in tension and anxiety. Listen, life is hard enough without self-inflicted tensions and anxieties caused by strife and divisions. But we have to ask the question, can we actually do this right now? Can we actually live with patient expectation with things the way they are? Can we settle down and be still as we wait for the Lord to come and get us? And by the way, today be a great day. Amen. Today be an awesome day for him to come catch us away in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Who's up for that? Yeah, amen. And the answer obviously is yes, we can, because Jesus didn't say, come to me and someday I'll give you rest. He said, come to me with your burdens, with the things that weigh you down, that you're heavy laden with, and I'll give you rest right now. So is anybody up for a little R&R? &R? So let's learn how to settle down, be calm and quiet with patient expectation that will allow us to re regain strength and relax because the Lord is indeed coming for us soon. Amen? Amen. So would you stand and read with me, please, our three verses for the day from Joshua chapter 21. We'll look at verses 43 through 45 and draw a conclusion from each. Joshua 21, verse 43. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that they had sworn, all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them, and the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel, all came to pass. And Lord, we ask this morning that you would indeed speak to our hearts, encourage us in this time of difficulty and suffering and sorrow and, and Lord, just uh, despair for so many as uh, seeing uh, things continue to unravel and run out of control in our country and around the world. But we know, God, you're not the author of confusion, but of peace. So would you, Lord, restore for some or instill in others the peace that passes understanding that guards their heart and mind through Christ Jesus. We ask this morning to learn about rest and relaxation from your word and give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, the most important thing to establish our context is what the verses we just read don't tell us. And that underscores us, uh, the, for us the distinction between teaching from the Bible and teaching the Bible. 
There's a lot of people today who teach from the Bible and they take verses out of context and you can almost make the Bible say whatever you want it to say and there's a lot of that going on right now but the fact is when you teach the whole counsel of God you gain the context, you understand and even uh, isolating verses like this isn't a danger to us. Now, while it's not in the verses we just read, elsewhere the Bible tells us the Canaanites were still in the land. They were still going to harass Israel. Israel still did not have all of the land within their possession that God had sworn to them. Yet we're told the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he swore to give to their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, because we do study the whole counsel of God, we know that Deuteronomy 7.22 says about the taking of the land God had given them, that the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. How? Little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. And even though God had given them this land as a possession, we might say that at this point, the land was big enough for Israel, but Israel wasn't big enough for the land. So God said, little by little, you're going to take over what I have given you. And we do know they never possessed all that God had given them based on the geographic markers we have in Scripture. But the Lord said at this point in time, they're going to have to grow into what he has given them. Now, the reason this is important to point out is because God always gives us above and beyond what we ask or think. We ask God for something, he gives us more than what we ask for. Hello? Think about your own salvation. We can't even imagine what awaits us. We can't even imagine where it is that we're going and the experiences we are going to have someday. And our salvation now is more than just the forgiveness of sins, the cleansing from all unrighteousness, the implantation of the Holy Spirit within us, the ability to rightly divide the word, to discern spirits and all the things that help us make our way through life. We've got the best yet to come. And we've asked God for something, and he's given us more than anything we can even ask or think of. And listen, while Israel now fully possessed by promise the land, God swore to their fathers, it was only a small portion that they dwelt in of all that was rightfully theirs. And if they were going to possess any more of the promised land, they were going to have to take what God had given them. Now, in Joshua 1, 1 to 3, we're told after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am, what? Giving, Giving to them, the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said, to Moses. Now, I've always found it curious. We see here and elsewhere uh, in the Old Testament, specifically uh, the Exodus and uh, Deuteronomy records some of the same information, but as we read a moment ago, but the fact is God said, I am giving them land. So they had to fight for it for seven years. They battled for what God gave them. And while they dwelt in part of the land of Canaan, every place their feet would stand upon would be theirs. But their feet are going to have to stand there to take possession of it. And they're going to have to drive out the former inhabitants in order to possess their possession. 
So let me ask you this morning, did Jesus offer us rest? Are there things in life that oppose it? So we're going to have to take it. Yeah, we're going to have to take what he's given us. There are things that try to keep us from living in patient continuance. There are things that try and rob us of calm and quiet strength building. And that tells us we're going to have to take possession of the rest that Jesus offers and drive out the things that try and rob us of it. Now, here's the first of our three points. The first being from 43. It's obvious. It's corny. And the reason it's corny is because corny things are the only things we can remember for any length of time. <laughs> so here's the first of our three considerations. You ready? Okay, five of you are ready. Come on, get on the bus. Here we go. You ready? Listen, when God gives you something, you still have to take it. Right? When God gives you something, you still have to take it. Now, think about it like this. When Amazon delivers something to your door, does the driver come into your house, open it? If it needs to go in the pantry or shelf, does he clean it and then put it away for you? No? no? Who has to do that? You. you. And listen, the concept, therefore, is not foreign to us. We just sometimes forget or fail to take possession and dwell in what God has given to us. So let's put our point to the test. Has God given us his spirit of a, as a guarantee of our future inheritance? Yes. Is his spirit that is in us greater than he who is in the world? Yes. So does that mean he who is in the world is going to leave us alone because God's spirit in us is greater than him? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So what do you do? Resist him, James says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, God has given us his spirit. Amen. Amen? Amen. And we have to take what he has given us and by his spirit be sober and vigilant in resisting the devil by being steadfast in the faith. The example is before us. Yes, God gave Israel the land of Canaan. Yes, the Lord was with Israel as they possessed their possession, but Israel did not sit on the sidelines and watch God simply do it. He worked in them, he worked through them, and they drove out by his power and blessing and anointing all that opposed them possessing their possession. And this is true for us as well. And if we want this prolonged time of trial we're in to be a time of rest that results in relaxation, we're going to have to take possession of what we've been given. After all, our very verses that we started out the year on in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. The end result being you will find what? Rest, patient continuance for your souls. Did Jesus say, sit there, do nothing, and I'll put my yoke on you? No, he said, you take it. You take what I'm offering you. You respond to my invitation to rest. And obviously describing himself as meek or gentle and lowly in heart. And the end result being our rest for our souls for taking what he has offered to us. Now, things are hard right now. Right? Yes. Things are hard right now. 
But we have to remember that the peace that passes understanding that guards our hearts and minds through Christ cannot cohabitate with strife, anxiety, and despair. And obviously, I think we all need to rest and relax a little bit in these days. And this is what our text is teaching us how to do. And in Joshua 24, 20 to 24, Joshua says in his uh, closing statements or his uh, final speech of life, he says to them before he dies, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he's going to turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, your witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, Joshua said, put away the foreign gods. There's take, take action which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice, his word. We will what? Obey. Obey. Now, the point of reading this is there were conditions for possessing the land and idolatry and serving the Lord were incompatible. And so Joshua was saying in his famed statement of the same chapter back in verse 15, as for me and my, choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and Mikasa, we will what? Serve. serve the Lord. And he's telling them serving the Lord requires putting away the foreign gods, doing away with idols, inclining your heart to the Lord God of Israel. Listen. In the same vein, rest and restlessness are not compatible. They cannot cohabitate in the same heart. It's an either or proposition. You can't have both. Now, some of you may be thinking, <laughs> purposeful pregnant pause there. Some of you may be thinking, okay, I get it. We have to take what God has given to us. But exactly how are we supposed to do that? Well, we'll find part of the answer here in verse 44. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. And the Lord delivered all their enemies into their what? Hand. Now, the Hebrew word ruah, which is translated as rest, means to be calm and quiet. It can mean to repose or even to cause to rest. Now, the, the root of the word in the Hebrew actually means to make flourish, to bring forth an increase. It can even mean to bear fruit. So in this season of difficulty, can we still bear fruit? Hello? Yes, absolutely. The Lord gave them land in verse 43, and in verse 44, he gives them rest in what they had been given. Now, did they have to take what the Lord gave them? Yes, they did. They fought for it for seven years, as we mentioned. He delivered their enemies into their hand, and this is how the Lord gave them rest. And the rest and the relaxation that comes from it is the rest and relaxation that comes after a battle has been won. Thankfully, the Lord has won the battle on our behalf. Now, I couldn't help but think of a couple of verses, some of my favorites from Isaiah. And remember that Isaiah was writing to a nation about what was going to happen in their future. 150 years after Isaiah wrote, they were going to wind up in Babylonian captivity. 
And indeed, he gave them things to remember, even as Jeremiah gave them things to remember during the 70 years they would be in Babylon. Jeremiah said in, in 29.10, the thoughts that I think towards you are of a future and a hope. So don't think that this is some kind of evil that I've plotted against you. And then Isaiah the prophet writes to the nation about the same time period and the experience they're going to go through. In Isaiah 43.2, in the first part of 3, he says to Israel, listen, when you pass through the waters, I sure hope you make it, What's he say? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Remember a group of disciples who got on the Sea of Galilee and about halfway through a storm arose and who was in the boat with them? Jesus. Jesus. And what did he say? Get in the boat and go to the... So where were they going to go? To the other side. Did the storm matter? Could it change their destination? Were they going to die? Didn't Jesus say you're going to get to the other side? Didn't he tell us we're going to get to the other side? And we will indeed. So the Lord says to Israel through Isaiah, in light of the coming Babylonian captivity, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, speaking again, uh, historically looking back to the swollen Jordan River as a reminder, and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, what happened in the Babylonian captivity, three guys? were thrown into the burning fiery furnace, heated seven times hotter than it ought to be. Did the flame scorch them? No. So Isaiah is speaking prophetically and specifically. He says, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Here's how and why. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your what? Savior. Your Savior. And then in 54, 17, he would say, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue which speaks against you in judgment, you shall condemn for this is the heritage of the servant of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me. That's our imputed righteousness. Says who? The Says the Lord. Now listen, let me remind you that the Holy One of Israel and the head of the church are the same person. The Holy One of Israel is the Mashiach bin David, the son of David, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We call him Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. Who's the head of the church? There's only one Savior, and he's a Savior of believing Jews, and he is the savior of the church as well, believing Gentiles included. And the fact is, we need to be careful about appropriating things written to Israel and applying them to the church unless they are in regards to God's nature and character because he doesn't change. And so if he is faithful to the Jews, he's going to be faithful to the church. Amen? Amen? Amen. Because he doesn't change. So we are not infringing upon the integrity of Scripture by taking verses like we just read and applying them to ourselves. Because the truth is, when we pass through waters, he's going to be with us. Amen. And when we pass through rivers, they're not going to overflow us. And we encounter fiery trials. We're going to be able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy by that which the Lord has equipped us with. The weapons formed against us will not prosper. The tongues that speak against us in judgment, we shall condemn because this is our heritage as a servant of the Lord and we have the same imputed righteousness as the fathers did because they believed God and he accounted it unto them as righteousness. Isaiah didn't say there's not going to be waters or rivers. Isaiah didn't say you're God's chosen people, there'll be no fiery trials. Isaiah didn't say weapons wouldn't be formed against them. What he did say is when deep waters come and fiery trials surround us, the enemy plots against us, 
the Lord will be with us and those weapons will not prosper against us. The floodwaters won't overflow us. The fiery trials will not scorch us for he's the Lord, our God, the Holy One of Israel, our Savior. Now, here's what this translates into as a point of application regarding our subject. Listen, here's something we need to remember. Nothing, say nothing. Nothing, nothing we encounter or endure must be done in our own strength. Amen. Nothing we encounter or endure must be done in our own strength. Now, we've all heard the adage, if God brought you to it, God will get you through it. And that is true. Amen. And this is why and how we can have the rest and the relaxation that results from resting in him, even during times such as these. Now, I want you to think about at this point in history, what Israel had encountered and endured thus far. Remember, they were slaves in Egypt. They were crying out to the Lord because the taskmaster's whip was frequent on their back. And Pharaoh kept taking their provision away, making their job harder and harder, yet not reducing the quota of bricks they had to build or manufacture and dry and construct with every day. And finally, the Lord, through Moses and the ten plagues and the Passover and the, all the things we know about the Exodus, the Lord says, after he told them, plunder the Egyptians on the way out, he tells Moses in Exodus 14, all right. Now that you're out of Egypt, I want you to go camp here. And he gives them four geographic markers. He said, I want you to camp, Exodus 14 records this, I want you to camp between Pi-Hairoth, that word means the mouth of gorges. He said, the other geographic marker is Migdal. And at Migdal, there was a well that was 250 foot deep that it was said that the water's so bad, camels won't even drink that water. And it was called the well of bitterness. So God says, Israel, I want you to camp between the mouth of gorges and the well of bitterness. And then he gives him the third geographic marker, Baal Zapon, which means the master destroyer or the master of storms. And he says the fourth geographic marker is the Red Sea behind your back. So he says, Moses, I want you to take the people who have just exited from Egypt, took the valuables of the Egyptians on the way out, and I want them to camp between the, the uh, mouth of gorges, the well of bitterness, the master of storms, and the Red Sea behind them. Get this. And then the Lord throws this into the mix with the Egyptian army closing in on them. I don't know. I'm thinking there's a better place to camp. <laughs> Aren't you? How about the pools of paradise? I mean, after all that slavery, how about something like that with easy chairs and, you know, cabanas and coconut juice and all this other stuff? But no, the Lord says, tell the people I want them to camp here. Why? He was going to take that Red Sea and split it in half. And the people were going to cross over on dry ground. And then when two million or possibly more people crossed over on dry ground, they find themselves wandering in the desert. Yet when they plundered the Egyptians, they didn't take any food. So God said, I'm going to give you what is it? Manna. I'm going to give you manna. And how often are they going to have it? Every day. They continue to wander more. They grow thirsty. And then they find a well with water in it. But the water is mara. It's bitter. So the Lord says, Moses, throw a tree in the water and it will purify the water. Well, they wandered some more. 
found themselves again without any water, but this time there was no well at all, bitter or otherwise, there was just a rock. And God said to Moses, strike the rock, and water's gonna come out of the rock. Happens all the time in our houses, right? <laughs> <clears throat> now, I want you to think about this. The people were hungry. The people were thirsty. Their experiences were real and their needs were legitimate. But the remedy was divine. And if the Lord called them out of Egypt and told them to plunder the Egyptians on the way out, that means he had matters well in hand, including when they were hungry and thirsty. But we also have to recognize that just as Moses had to put his rod in the Red Sea to part it, he had to cast a tree into the rivers or the waters of Marah and strike the rock in Horeb for the water to come out. So too, Israel had to go out and gather the manna and prepare the manna every day. And when they went into the land promised to them, they had to drive out the inhabitants in order to obtain what God had sworn to their fathers. And by these actions, God gave them, through their obedience, their enemies into their hands. Now, <clears throat> Paul said in Philippians 4, 12, and 13, I know how to be abased. Anybody know how to struggle? <laughs> Anybody ever feel like, you know what, I'm not under Moses' law, but I seem to be under Murphy's? <laughs> Anything that can go wrong, has gone wrong? Anybody else say been there, done that, got the t-shirt and all those uh, cliches? Paul says, I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. We would always choose the abounding, right? Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he adds this, I can do all things, pointing back to what he just said. I can do abundance and I can do need through Christ who will what? Amen. Strengthen me. Could the Israelites do abundance? They plundered the Egyptians. Could they do need? Did God feed them with manna? And... Uh, purify water and provide it through the striking of a rock. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying that whatever he experiences or endures, he can face it through Christ who strengthens him. Now, is that exclusive to Paul or inclusive to us? It's true for us too, right? Hello? Amen. Now, Paul didn't say, because I know Jesus, I'll never go hungry. He said, because I know Jesus, I can do the hunger thing. I can do the need thing. Because Christ will strengthen me for it. Now, remember, King David said he's never seen the righteous begging bread. But that doesn't mean the righteous never miss a meal. Hello? Doesn't mean the righteous never miss a meal. I just always pray, Lord, don't let them string together too many in a row. Right? God takes care of us, doesn't he? And Paul says, I can do abundance through the same strength. Now, of course, we all talk about, and I've made a joke of it before. Jesus said it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, but most people like to give it a try. <laughs> right? We prefer abundance, right? But there are trials and temptations in abundance that you don't have when you're in time of need. Things like trusting in riches. Remember what he said to the rich young ruler? He said, this one thing you lack. He didn't say everybody lacks it. Everybody needs to sell all they have and give it to the poor. He said to this young man, here's your problem. You got possessions, but you're not possessing your possessions. Your possessions are possessing you. 
You need to get rid of what's hindering you. And then you can enter into the kingdom of heaven and receive all the blessings and the things that he was in pursuit of. But Paul is saying, listen, through the strength that Christ provides, the difficulties of the hard times and the temptations of the bountiful times can be mastered through the strength that Christ provides for us. Now, Numbers also reminds us in 22 to 5, there was no water for the congregation. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, as if they had the ability to create water. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's not a place of grain or figs or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. Now, remember the things we just talked about? The Lord parted the Red Sea. The Lord fed them with manna. The Lord made bitter waters pure. The Lord provided water out of a rock. And I think sometimes we wonder, how can the Israelites so quickly forget the wonderful things God had done for them? You want to know what the answer is? <laughs> You're a little nervous, huh? You want to know what the answer is? Because they're just like us. Because they're people just like you and me. God saves our soul. He makes dead people, people dead in sin alive. He gives us his spirit. He blesses us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He gives us spiritual gifts and then trials and tribulations come and we get restless and the peace that passes understanding that guards our hearts and minds becomes elusive all of a sudden when we had it all along from him. And listen, let me remind you of what we learned from the Exodus story of the campground God assigned to his children. What we learned then is what we need to remember now, and that is this. God will at times lead us into difficulty for the glory of getting us out. He will lead us into difficulty for the glory of getting us out. They would have never chosen that campground. So God picked it for them. They wouldn't choose to have their backs against the Red Sea and surrounded by the other three markers we talked about. They would have chosen Easy Street just like we would have. Nobody chooses trials. Nobody chooses tribulation. You know, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 5 and 6 <clears throat> about if need be, we have been tested by various trials that our, our faith may be proven. Well, every time I read that, I think the same thing. Trials, who needs them? I don't want them. If need be, I, I want to just cruise on into heaven, don't you? Come on now. We don't want the things that often come our way. But the truth is, even in the midst of this season we're in, even in the middle of this pandemic and all of the things that are associated with it, sometimes God leaves us into difficult places because he's going to do something so radical. People talk about it for millennia because it was so amazing. And this is how God operates. And listen, it's not the absence of adversity that gives us rest that allows for relaxation. We can have rest and we can relax in the middle of adversity through knowing we're not facing it in our own strength. Amen. God will give us the strength to do so. Amen? Amen? Now let's wrap it up with 45 and I'll let you go. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. Read the last four words. All came to pass. 
Now, Bible detractors like to cry foul here, stating that we mentioned earlier, what we mentioned earlier, that history has proven the Canaanites were still in the land. They were still going to have battles against Israel. They didn't possess all the land God had given them and uh, that which he had sworn to their fathers. And remember what we read earlier in Deuteronomy 7. This is going to happen little by little, so their argument uh, is moot. It's, it's um, unbiblical, obviously. Now, we also need to remember what we mentioned last month, and that is the Hebrew literary practice of stating things yet future as though they've already happened in the past or they're historical. We used as our example Isaiah 53, the famed forbidden chapter. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, Surely he, what? He what? Has. Has. It's already happened. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he, what's the next word? Was. Past tense. Wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And listen to this, the tense shifts, and by his stripes we are, speaking of uh, continuance, we are, <coughs> excuse me, healed. The one about whom this was written wouldn't even live for another 700 years. And yet this is written as historical fact. And the fact is God swore to the fathers that he would give them a land to dwell in, and not one word of what the Lord had promised had failed, even though they did not yet, nor do they today, Possess all that God gave them. But every good thing the Lord promised came to pass. Everywhere they put their feet, God gave them that as a possession. But he had more than what they settled for. Listen, anything that didn't come to pass was part of his conditional promise we read earlier. And it was Israel's fault. It wasn't God's fault. Anytime something goes awry, it's not God's fault. Aren't you glad oops is not in the Bible? <laughs> now, 1 Kings records the same thing in 856. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. Now, here's our final takeaway from these verses. It's a bit lengthy, but I think you'll get the point. Listen this morning. God's promises are as true when they're said as they are when they're seen. God's promises are as true when they're said as they are when they're seen. Now, I think we've all known people who have made promises, and our first thought upon hearing their promise was, yeah, we'll see. You know what I'm talking about? We've all encountered people like that, but we can't use that type of mindset when God's in the equation. God said it, it's going to happen, and nothing can stop it. We can't take that approach with him because he's not like us, thank the Lord. He is true to his promises. He keeps his word. Not only can he write things yet to happen as though they're history, what he says can't be stopped or hindered by Satan or even us. And this is why Paul would say in 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13, this is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us, consistent with what he said to Israel. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Can't deny himself. Faithful is part of his nature and character, and his character and nature don't change. So he can't deny who he is. Listen, God promised to bring the Jews back into the land in the latter days, and it's happening. It's happening, and it's been happening for over 100 years. 
And even though they had been faithless, he remained faithful. Even though the diaspora was their own fault, they're scattering among the nations, God made a promise and he is faithful to keep his word. Did the Lord say the gates of hell will not prevail against his church? Then they won't. Did the Lord say he'd never leave us or forsake us? Then he won't. Did he say he'd come again and take us to where he is? Then he will. And can we therefore live like this is true and nothing can stop it? So that means we can rest. We can rest in him and we can relax and not live under the tensions and anxiety that are ruling so many today. Is it possible even now? <coughs> I'll wait here. Is it possible even now? And 2 Corinthians 1, 20 to 22 reminds us all the promises of God in him, him being Jesus, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through who? Us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Ephesians 1, 13 says that guarantee is that we have a future inheritance. Now listen. Things are rapidly moving toward their foretold end. The Lord is coming for his church. There is going to be a tribulation, and it's going to be great. Not great in the positive sense. Jesus is coming again, and we're coming back with him at the end of the tribulation. Jesus is going to rule and reign. He is going to sit on David's throne in the fourth temple in Jerusalem. And he is going to rule over the whole of the earth for a thousand years. And get this, we're going to rule with him. Now, somebody stopped me at the door after first service. We went on our family vacation. We went to Oahu. And this lady said, that's my favorite place in the whole world. That's where I want the Lord to send me during the millennium. And I said to her, listen, during the millennium, the whole world's going to be like Oahu. So we don't need to go to Oahu to have Oahu. The world is going to be like the Garden of Eden when Jesus comes back. Amen? Amen. Now, none of that's happened yet. None of it. He hasn't raptured the church. Tribulation hasn't happened. Second coming hasn't happened. The millennial, and some people say we're in the millennium right now, Sorry, but what a disappointment. <laughs> and some people say that Jesus isn't coming back at all. It's all figurative. But listen, it's all going to happen. Just as God said. And the fact that our finite minds can't always wrap our brain around it doesn't change the fact that every word of God is true. And it remains steadfast in the heavens, and his word cannot return to him void. It will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. So listen, in between our calling and his coming is a time of waiting, during which we can rest in him and thus relax and live tension and anxiety free. Even as we strive against sin, even as we labor for the Lord and the gospel. We need to remember, we haven't seen it all happen yet. But if God said it, that settles it. And it will surely come to pass. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Father, we are again grateful for your matchless word today. 
thank you for giving us this word at such a time as this, one so desperately needed, that, that we can, in the midst of all that um, is being experienced, Lord, on an individual level, a corporate level as the church, and we as a country, the rest is still available in you, and relaxation too. And Lord, we know life is hard, and we recognize that in this life we will have tribulation, but you said that we could be of good cheer because you've overcome the world. And we thank you, Lord, that the word rest in the Hebrew can mean to be cheerful. And Lord, we readily admit that we're not always cheerful when trouble comes our way. And Lord, we also know that's not some kind of mindless, uh, giggly type of attitude that's indifferent to the pains and sorrows of life. But Lord, we need not have our faith impacted during these times because you'll remain faithful. You will never leave us nor forsake us. You will never let us down. It's not within your nature and character. So Lord, I pray for those who may have been trying to figure out how to make the next house payment or car payment or rent payment or put tires on the car or fix a washing machine or all the things that have just been coming and coming and coming even though the income has stopped or the struggles have increased. Lord, we thank you that you have said, we are your responsibility to care for. And Lord, you can send manna, you can send quail, uh, you can make bitter water sweet, uh, you can make water come from a rock. And uh, Lord, I pray that you help us remember these things and that we are not exempt from struggles. And Christians miss meals too. And Christians struggle like the rest of the world. Well, Lord, we thank you that when we pass through the waters, you will be with us and they won't overtake us. And when the fiery trials come, we will not be burned and the flame won't scorch us because you're the Holy One of Israel, our Savior. So help us to remember these things and to rest in you and to gain the upper hand on tension and anxiety that wants to rule us. We thank you for these things once again today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, Amen. Amen.